Good morning again. I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, it's chilly in here. But I can almost guarantee you that over the next few weeks, it's going to warm up. And you will be longing for this morning. <laughs> well, we come to Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. The last section of the book of Galatians. We have been studying through Galatians since September? I don't remember. I think it's been September. And we're in the last section, the last few verses of the book of Galatians this morning. Uh, I'm going to read that section in a little bit. But before I do, uh, why don't we pray together? Please pray with me. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, we, we thank you for the book of Galatians. We thank you for uh, the joy that it's been to study through this book over the last several months. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would... Open our hearts and minds now to, to dig into this passage of Scripture, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would apply it to our hearts, uh, would convince us of its truth, would encourage us to trust in Jesus, and empower us uh, through the gospel to go out and live for him in the world in a way that brings glory and honor to you. Uh, Father, be with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 6, we will begin reading in verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, in, to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me to stumble, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. I think we need to boast. I mean, I, I think we were made to boast. Now, there are some people for whom boasting comes naturally, uh, you know, for the, the braggadocious, for the show-offs, for the know-it-alls, and that's not what I mean. I mean, I think we cannot not boast. And to explain that, we are going to look at this passage from Galatians chapter 6. Uh, we're going to go through three points. You can see those points on the back of your bulletin if you want a place to take notes, if you want to, to, to see the outline there. The three points are we're going to talk about uh, boasting from the heart, boasting in the flesh, and boasting in the cross. Boasting from the heart, boasting in the flesh, and boasting in the cross. Uh, first, boasting from the heart. What is boasting? What, what does it mean to boast? What, what is its nature? 
Uh, we've all probably heard a good boast here or there, maybe even told a fish story or two. Um, but there is a Dr. Seuss story that you may be familiar with, may or may not, called The Big Brag. Dr. Seuss, The Big Brag, and it starts out with a, 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 the, about a rabbit and a bear. And it starts out with the rabbit, and uh, it says this, The rabbit felt mighty important that day on top of the hill in the sun where he lay. He felt so important up there on the hill that he started in bragging, as animals will, and he boasted out loud as he threw out his chest, of all the beasts in the world, I'm the best. On land and on sea, even up in the sky, no animal lives who is better than I. And of course, the bear, hearing this, right, uh, can't take such a boast. And so the book continues with the rabbit and the bear arguing with one another, each boasting uh, how far they can smell or how far they can hear and so on. Uh, boasting, bragging. You know, boasting may start out as an attitude, but we typically think of it as words, right? A boast of superiority. Look how good I am. A boast of accomplishment, right? Look what I've done. And often it's not just a boast about something, but a boast over others, right? Look, not only look what I've done, but, but there's no one better than I. So the first thing, as we start to think about boasting, the first thing to say about it is that to boast... To boast is really to put something on display, uh, to put something on display for people to be impressed, to highlight the great things that you've done, right? To try to impress the glory of something on other people. You know, look at what I've done. Look at my accomplishments. Look at my degrees. Look at how many friends I have on Facebook, right? Look at how much money I make. Look at the great car that I drive. Right? Boasting is an attempt to impress our glory on others. In this sense, boasting has an outward face, right? It's looking outward. Boasting with respect to others is highlighting glory for other people to see. And yet, as we turn to the New Testament, the New Testament concept of boasting is actually much bigger than that. To boast in the New Testament uh, is also to rejoice in something. Not just to tell others about it, but to rejoice in it yourself. And this is true, this is true of us when we boast in our accomplishments, we are delighting in what we have done. But often when scripture talks about rejoicing in the New Testament, underlying that is actually the Greek word for, for boast. So scripture talks about rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God or boasting in the hope of the glory of God. Scripture talks about rejoicing in our sufferings or boasting in our sufferings. Scripture talks about rejoicing in God through our Lord Jesus Christ or boasting in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the point is this, this New Testament concept of boasting is bigger than our concept. It not only means sort of verbally putting things on display, but also delighting in those very things. To boast in something is to delight in it, to rejoice in it, to find joy in it. And so to boast is to put something on to display and to rejoice in that thing. And to boast is to, to trust. To boast in something is to believe in the, the supremacy of that thing, to see it as worthy and weighty and valuable. You know, if you boast in how much money you have, you are saying to people, uh, look at how rich I am. This, this wealth gives me glory. This wealth makes me who I am. Uh, it, it, 
if you boast in money, you see it as a sufficient ground for your identity in life. You want people to know you as a wealthy person. Or uh, if you boast in how smart you are, right? You're saying, uh, look at how smart I am, my intelligence, my learning. It makes me who I am. It gives me glory. It gives me honor. If you boast in your learning, you, you see that as a sufficient ground for your identity and your life. You want people to know you as a smart person. And so to boast in something is to, to trust in it. In fact, in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, a passage we heard a moment ago, Paul says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. The word could be translated, and boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. See, boasting or glorying in Christ is contrasted with putting confidence in or trusting in the flesh. What you boast in is what you think is superior and, and strong and weighty and worthy of praise and worthy of your trust and your confidence. And so if, if boasting is, is so trusting and rejoicing in something that you put it on display for other people to see, the opposite of boasting would be something like tearing something down, uh, not rejoicing, but despair, uh, not trust and confidence, but insecurity. Of course, we're not made to live in fear. We're not made to live in sadness. We are created to boast. Uh, where does that come from? Where does boasting come from? Well, uh, it comes from our hearts. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says. Boasting, this outward attitude of rejoicing, comes from somewhere deeper within. What's going on there in our hearts? Well, our heart has this deep desire, this deep need for glory. A desire to find glory in something. A drive to build one's life, one's identity, one's joy on glory, on greatness. And that relates to each of the aspects of boasting we just talked about, proclaiming and rejoicing and trusting. So for every human heart, right, there is an object of boasting, of trust, of confidence, of joy. There is something which causes us to proclaim its greatness. Maybe our favorite sports team, maybe how much we can bench press, it may be our GPA, but for each of us, there is something we boast about, something we rejoice in, something we trust. It's like there is a compass in our hearts that points to what is most valuable. And whatever we think is most valuable becomes the ground of our boast, our joy, our confidence. Or, if we don't have it, the cause of our despair and sadness and insecurity. Okay, so what do you boast in? Um, some of the things already mentioned, maybe, money, intelligence, sports teams. Right? What, what brings your heart deep joy? Where does your confidence lie? What do you write home about? What do you brag about? We must boast. We, we will boast or we will languish because we were created to put glory on display. We were created to enjoy glory, to rejoice in greatness. We were created to fundamentally trust, to put our confidence in something. So the question is not will we boast, the question is in what will we boast? What will be our glory? What will be our praise? What will be our trust? Where will our confidence lie? 
See, our boast is always rooted. Our boast always has a ground. And really, there are only two. There are only two objects of boasting possible. Either we will boast in the flesh, or we will boast in our God. Either we will boast in created things, or we will boast in the Creator. First, let's look at boasting in the flesh. What does it mean to boast in the flesh? Look at verse 13. Verse 13, Paul says, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Now, you may remember the context of Galatians. Uh, we've been here for a while, but, but Paul uh, had preached Jesus. He came to the Galatians. He had preached Jesus in the churches of Galatia, and uh, they had come to Christ. I guess they weren't churches when he first preached, but he came to Galatia. He preached, and therefore now there were churches, uh, people trusting in Jesus. But some other people had come behind Paul, and they had preached something else. They preached circumcision. They taught the Gentiles that they must become Jewish in order to become Christians. If you really want God's blessing, they taught, you must take on the Jewish law. You must first take the step of circumcision if you want the blessing of God. Paul says in verse 13, they want you to be circumcised that they might boast in your flesh. And of course, in some ways, this was very literal, right? Boasting in circumcision was boasting in the flesh because circumcision was an operation done in the flesh. It was physical. And yet circumcision was also done by the flesh, right? By human effort, by human power. It was something that people could accomplish in their own strength without, without any help from God. The false teachers want to boast in human accomplishment, to boast in the flesh, right, is to boast in ourselves, to boast in who we are, Jew versus Gentile, to boast in what we can do, circumcision versus uncircumcision, to boast in the stuff of this world. So to boast in the flesh is to boast in something in this life. It's to boast in outward appearance. It's to boast according to what you can accomplish. It's to boast according to the standards of this world. It's to place your confidence in the flesh, It's to boast in worldly wisdom and worldly might and worldly riches. Again, what are some of the things that you boast in? To boast in circumcision, right, was about boasting in religious accomplishments. Do you boast in your religious pedigree or your religious history, your testimony or your theology or your denomination or your worship style? Paul talks about his own religious pedigree in a number of places, Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, he says, But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, he says, I also dare to boast of that. Uh, Are are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one, Paul says. I am talking like a madman. (laughs) And then he goes on to list all of his accomplishments as a servant of Christ. Philippians 3, where Paul says he glories in Christ and puts no confidence in the flesh, he goes on to say, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then again, he lists all his religious accomplishments. But Paul's point is not that we should think highly of him because of those things. Paul's point is though he has every reason to boast in the flesh, he doesn't 
His boast is in Christ. Well, what about you? Do you boast in religious accomplishments? Uh, that you're not a liberal on the one hand, or that you're not a fundamentalist on the other? Do you boast in what you can accomplish? Uh, Jeremiah tells us at one point, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, right? Three common things that people boast in. Do you boast in your learning, your wisdom, your GPA or your PhD or your education or academics or grades or degrees? Do you boast in physical strength, in physical prowess, in achievements, in beauty? Do you boast in worldly wealth, in money, in possessions, the car you drive, the house you own? Do you boast in moral achievements, being an upstanding, law-abiding citizen? Uh, Do you boast that that you're you're obedient, you follow the rules? Do you boast that you have a, a good family and obedient kids? Do you boast in any other accomplishments, right? Or any other things about you that make you stand out, right? The kind of music you listen to or the clothes that you wear, that you did a good job at work recently or, or that you're a talented musician or that you're funny or that you're smart or that you're pretty or whatever it is. Anything in this life that has value or weight in the world can become an object of our boasting. Anything that has weight in our hearts or weight in the hearts of other people can become an object of our boasting. We typically boast of what we have that others do not. So wherever you feel superior, wherever you look down on people or judge them, there is your boast, that you're not like that guy. Well, this brings us to uh, another important question about boasting, which is why do we do it? Why do we boast in the flesh? We boast in the flesh to look good and to gain acceptance. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, uh, Paul says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. See, boasting in the flesh is, is, is seeking to make a good show to avoid persecution for the sake of the cross. This was true of the false teachers in Galatia. It's true of us as well. When we find something in this life to boast in, we're trying to prove ourselves. Why would you want to prove yourself? Well, to impress people, to get in with others, to avoid their rejection, to gain their approval. We're saying, look at me, right? I'm, I'm lovable. I'm awesome. I'm great. Love me. Accept me. And so we seek to become experts in the ways of this world to try to show off what we know, what we do. And it's scary for me to think of how many of the things that I've really strived to excel at and that I strived, or I strove, uh, because I wanted people to accept me. I didn't want to fail in front of others. And so I worked hard in order to look good. I didn't want to, to, to look stupid. I didn't want to sound stupid. I didn't want to feel stupid in front of other people. And so often the things that we excel at, we do so in order to look good. Even if it didn't start out that way, maybe we formed a name for ourselves about something. We formed an identity. And so we rely on ourselves. We rely on our flesh, our abilities to keep up this name. Have you ever been somewhere, uh, maybe work, maybe school, maybe uh, a party, maybe church? And you said something, and it sounded good at the moment, 
pretty much immediately afterwards you realize, well, that was a really dumb thing to say. And um, it began to nag at you and you couldn't get it out of your mind. You began to think of what you should have said differently. And uh, maybe you, you, start, you go into damage control mode, you know, damage control mode. That's when you, you, you email the people you were talking to just to bring the subject up again, just so you can sort of cunningly show them that you're not as dumb as you sounded. It's never happened to me. Uh, we want people to think well of us. We want to look good. We want to be accepted. And so we boast in the flesh. But the flesh is not a solid ground of acceptance with God or man. Uh, Isaiah in uh, chapter 40 has these famous words. He says, all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. Everything we have to boast in will fade. Charm is fleeting and beauty is vain, Scripture says. The young lose their youth, the beauty her looks, the mighty his strength, the rich her wealth. Even the wise lose their wits eventually. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Don't boast in those things. They will not last. Nor will they save you on judgment day. You know, the psalmist, at one point, he speaks of those who trust in wealth, those who boast in the abundance of their riches, and he says, truly no man can, give, can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. He's saying you're trusting in your wealth, you're trusting in your riches, you're trusting in the glories of this world, but you can't purchase your way into heaven. Right? God can't be bought, neither with money nor with morality, by the way. Whatever, whatever your boast is, God can't be bought. Rather, the psalmist goes on to say, Rather, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. He says it again. He says, man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. Don't boast in the flesh. Its joys are fleeting, and it provides no solid ground for confidence in this life or in the life to come. Of course, if we're not to boast in the flesh, what are we to boast in? And that brings us to our third point. We can boast in the cross. Paul says in verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the cross in the ancient world was a shameful shameful instrument of execution. And this is what Paul chooses to boast in. The cross, in light of the value systems of this world, uh, the cross is, is empty, it's worthless, it's valueless. To those who want to show a power, Paul says the cross is a symbol of weakness. To those who, want, uh, who seek wisdom, Paul says, right, an executed Messiah is foolishness. And yet Paul says this very thing, the death of our Messiah, is to become our boast. Why? 
Why do we boast in the cross? Well, look at verses 14 and 15. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. These two verses uh, have to be taken together. They're they're really uh, making two sides of a single point. The first is that through the cross, Paul says, the world has been crucified to him and him to the world. That through the cross, through the death of Jesus on the cross, we have died to this world. This world no longer has power over us. We're no longer a part of the present created order. And because we are dead to this world, second, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but a new creation. See, when you die to this world, the distinctions of this world no longer matter. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. doesn't matter. That's a distinction in this world. But Jesus not only died, but he also rose, and we rose with him, the Bible says. We have new life in Christ. So the distinctions of this creation no longer matter, but there is a new creation, a new creation that we are a part of. It began in the resurrection of Jesus when he received the renewed body. That creation is coming in its fullness at Jesus' return, but it has begun now in the Spirit who dwells within us. We are a part of a new creation. And so having died with Christ to the old world, we're no longer citizens of the old world, but citizens of the new. And that means the old distinctions count for nothing but only the new creation. Because through the cross we have died to the world and its distinctions, all distinctions of this life become moot. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Neither wealth nor poverty, but a new creation. Neither black nor white, but a new creation. Neither educated nor uneducated, but a new creation. Neither Democrat nor Republican, but a new creation. All distinctions and value systems of this world, they have been relativized in light of the resurrection of Jesus and the new creation. See, there is a distinction that that so trumps every other, it makes them irrelevant. It's like saying, neither apples nor oranges, but a cheesesteak. Right? The distinction between apples and oranges, completely irrelevant in light of the superior glory of a Philly (laughs) cheesesteak. That doesn't mean that those uh, distinctions aren't real, of course. Not even that they're not important on a a worldly level. I mean, you you want a doctor, for example, that's smart, that studied hard, that was at the top of his class, uh, that got good grades. You don't want to go to a doctor that flunked out of medical school. But when it comes to our standing with God, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. No worldly distinction matters before him, whatever those worldly distinctions might be. Whether they are religious distinctions or moral distinctions or physical distinctions or social distinctions or political distinctions, they all become completely irrelevant in light of the new creation that has come in Christ. Why boast in the cross? Because through the cross, has come a new creation that makes all of our previous boasts empty. 
Okay, so what does it mean then to boast in the cross? That's why. Why do we boast in the cross? Because all these previous boasts are empty if we belong to Christ. Well, what does it mean? What does it look like to boast in the cross? Well, one, going through the same things we talked about a moment ago, to to boast in the cross means to find the cross sufficient, a sufficient ground for our identity in life. Remember, Paul said, Philippians 3.3, that he boasts in Christ Jesus and puts no confidence in the flesh. Where does his confidence lie then? His confidence lies in, in Christ and in the cross. The whole letter of Galatians, of course, is about the sufficiency of the cross. Jesus took our sin that we might stand righteous before the Father. We are justified through the faithfulness of Jesus. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so that in Christ we might receive the blessing of Abraham, the promise of the Spirit. Jesus was born under the law to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons and become heirs according to God's promise. Most of all, through the cross and the resurrection comes then this new creation. So all of these blessings come through the cross. The righteousness of Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, the promise of the Spirit, the adoption as sons, the promised inheritance, the new creation, all are found in Jesus. All come through the cross. Here is a firm foundation, right? Here is something that, that will not fade. Here is something that that will not disappoint. Here is a firm ground for this life and for the life to come. The cross of Jesus. To boast in the cross is to rest in it. It's to place your confidence in it. And it's to rejoice in it. We rejoice in Jesus, right? We, We rejoice in the gift of his righteousness. We rejoice in our acceptance with the Father. We rejoice in all the promises that are now fulfilled. We rejoice in the gift of the Spirit at work within us. We rejoice in being taken as God's children. We rejoice in the hope of our inheritance, the new creation that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us and ready to be revealed at the last day. We rejoice in the sufficiency of our Savior and all the blessings that flow from his cross. Blessings that do not fluctuate with this life. Blessings that will not perish or fade. Blessings that neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. This becomes our joy, the thing that we get excited about. Not not that we are better, better at at pool or polo or pogo sticks or whatever. Not that we have more glitz or glam than other people, but that we are part of a new creation. And so to boast in the cross is to rest in the cross, is to rejoice in the cross, and is to put the cross on display for all to see. That's what it means to boast, right? To to put something on display. Well, how do we do that? How do we put the cross on display? And here's where things get scary. Uh, Paul's boasting in the cross always involves boasting in his own suffering and weakness. Even here, in verse 17, verse 17, Paul says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The marks of Jesus. Uh, The the word is, is stigmata, the stigmata of Jesus. But it doesn't refer to some supernatural sign. But the scars from Paul's persecutions for the faith. That's probably what he's referring to. Paul is saying, you you want to be circumcised as a sign in your flesh that you belong to God? I have a sign in my flesh that I belong to God. It's the scars I bear for standing up for the gospel. 
See, whenever Paul boasts in the cross, he always boasts in his own suffering as well. Not at all to say that he is superior because of his sufferings for Jesus. It's not that kind of boast. He's not trying to point people to him. No, uh, rather, 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, but we have this treasure, the gospel, in jars of clay, that is, our weak bodies. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not given to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you." You see, this is not an isolated theme in Paul, not, not isolated in Paul, but a theme. He regularly boasts of his weakness. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The goal is not to puff himself up, but to exalt God. 2 Corinthians 12, he does the same thing. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul goes on, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul wants to make known the resurrection power of Jesus. He wants to boast in Jesus' power. How can he do that? By showing people that whatever power is at work in him is not his power but God's. This is what makes boasting in the cross so hard. It means boasting in our weaknesses. Not just being okay with them and kind of hiding them and hoping nobody notices, but actually boasting in them, right? Pointing out our weaknesses to the glory of Jesus. Being honest about the mess that's going on in our hearts and in our lives so that Jesus' power will be more clearly seen. There is no boasting in the cross that doesn't involve an admission, at least, and therefore a boasting in our weakness. See, if we are strong, we don't need the cross. If we are good, we don't need the cross. Jesus didn't come for the righteous, but he came to call sinners to repentance. Are you ready to experience, right, to admit and even to boast in how weak you are so that you can exalt the cross of Jesus? Well, the scariness of that brings us to what is probably the most important reason to boast in the cross. You know, we boast in the flesh to gain acceptance with God or men, but we boast in the cross because we already have that acceptance. Through Christ, we have been accepted by the Father. Therefore, we boast in the cross. We're not boasting to try to get someone to like us. We're boasting because our Father loves us already. We've seen that in the cross of Jesus. That means we can admit our failures. We can admit our weaknesses. We can admit our sins without fear. Our Father loves us. No matter how weak you are in the world's eyes, we have acceptance with the Father through the cross. However many distinctions of this world you find yourself on the wrong side of, whatever that wrong side might be, 
in Christ, you are part of a new creation where all of those distinctions are irrelevant. No matter how many are your sins, by faith in Christ, all of them are forgiven and you are accepted as righteous in God's sight based on the righteousness of Jesus. And so your weakness and your failures and even your sins, don't misunderstand me, I'm not encouraging you to sin, but all of our weaknesses, all of our failures, and even all of our sins serve a higher purpose to highlight the power and grace of God at work in you. And therefore, boast. Boast in the cross. Boast in your weakness. Boast even in your trials and troubles as God brings you through them to the glory of our crucified and risen Messiah. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would turn our hearts to you, that we would see your supreme glory, that we would see your greatness, that we would see the wonders of your mercy in the cross, that we would see your power displayed in the resurrection, that we would see your patience with us as your children as we sin daily and you patiently work with us, conforming us to the image of your Son. We pray, Father, that we would see all of that and that we would boast in it, that we would boast in our God, that we would brag on you, that we would tell others about you, that we would praise you, that we would rejoice in you, that we would trust in you, that we would place our confidence in you, and we would proclaim you to those around us, that we would not be able to do anything but proclaim you because we would be so overwhelmed with your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.